everybody. I am Marina Malaguti, and I'm your host at Embossed. Embossed is a podcast I've created to highlight women with amazing paths of success here in Chicago. Last year, I set out to interview the only 40 female CTOs in the city, and this year I've expanded to uh, female CEOs and women in politics and government in Chicago. I'm excited to share these interviews with you, and I hope you contact me at www.unbossed.io or email me at marina at unbossed.io. Hope to see you soon. Jenny Farver is a Chicago-based technology leader and is a co-CEO of software consultancy 8 Light. Previous roles have included CTO at Livestream company Lightstream, CTO of advertising creative platform Popular Pays, and VP of Engineering at Civis Analytics. Jenny spent several years as an adjunct faculty member at Northwestern's Kellogg School of Management and regularly speak, speaks on technology leadership. She holds a master's and PhD from MIT and an undergraduate degree from UC Berkeley. In 2019 and 2020, she was listed on Crane's Tech 50 list of leaders in the Chicago Tech community. Welcome, Jenny. Nice. All right. Um, thank you so much for joining my, po- my podcast. Jenny, thank you for being here today. How are you doing? Good, good. I see you have a cup of tea, too. Oh, yes. Tea. Uh, Lady Grey is my favorite. What's yours? Uh, this one is a vanilla, uh, which I really enjoy. Um, I, yeah, I, I'm into adagio teas these days. They do really nice stuff. Oh, is that the triangle ones? Or is that the ones that come in the triangle? What, it, what are those? Well, they do, they do make those, yeah. I, I do the loose leaf, but I think they do make those, yeah. Oh, fancy loose leaf tea. Okay, got it. Do you measure the time? Have you ever met people that, in the well, while in the office? a long time what it feels like a long time ago there were people that actually had thermometers and measured the temperature of other tea are you that aficionado of tea no I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a tea noob so i'm just starting to get into it and realizing that i have a lot to learn but pretty much i'm in boil the water and i have a new little steeper that i like so but i'm starting to think about storage so very early in my tea journey oh nice what did you do before tea i see and i still do coffee but um I think the tea helps me get downstairs and move around a lot a little bit more. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Totally. That makes sense. I like I, I enjoy both as well. I do I limit myself to one cup of coffee a day and then the rest of the day I vary among tea and I think it works with the caffeine level and the jitters. Yeah, that's what I'm doing too, yeah. Oh nice, perfect. Awesome. So super excited to be here. Um I would like us to start with telling our audience. Uh, how did we meet? <laughs> That's the story of, I, I, and then I'll tell you something that you don't know, but I think you'll find kind of, uh, kind of uh, inspiring maybe, I don't know. But, um, and I'll tell you this first. I remember that while we were working, um, you spoke at a conference or when we started meeting, and we can tell the audience about this, you spoke at an event or something and your kids came and I don't know how often this happens, but we were at 1871 and then you were moderating a panel and then your kids came, your two girls came and I don't know if you have more kids. Um, but I remember thinking, I'm like, oh my God, this woman, she's so cool. She's like doing all these things. She's moderating this panel and her kids are here. And I'm like, I definitely want to have more kids and I want to be able to bring my kids wherever I come to. 
<laughs> what was that about? Yeah. <laughs> well, so it's lovely that it seemed cool and under control. Uh, the truth is, like somewhere in between, you know. Like uh, I asked, uh, I asked our nanny to bring the kids up downtown to meet me at the end of this panel, and you know she had trouble like circling for parking. And one of the event organizers did the very nice thing of going down and, and getting the kids out of the car and bringing them upstairs. <laughs> and, and actually, it's kind of a, unusual for me to blend my life that way but um the precipitating event was that that night there was a star wars sneak preview for one of the movies and i had gotten tickets somehow and so uh the kids were like dressed up and like in, in costume and i was i was trying to kind of figure out how do i dress for being on a panel and also kind of be in star wars gear so i was really <laughs> like oh, i'll just say like badass leggings <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so, you know, behind the scenes, there was plenty of chaos and confusion and Star Wars. <laughs> I love I love this story because, you know, it's like from the outside, you know, perspective, it, it didn't seem that there was any chaos at all. <laughs> but I still thought it was like, you know what, like blending and just being a mom and being, you know, a professional, it totally makes sense for me and it works and I want to and I want that. But um uh, I remember that vividly about you, and then and then we started working together. And I think you can tell this story better than I can. Oh, I don't know. I mean, like <laughs> I, you know, I, I think for all uh, women leaders in technology, um, for good reasons, we're asked to participate and, and increase representation in a lot of professional activities, whether it's mentorship or um, advising startups and all these things. And, um, but of course it can be a lot and we're balancing, you know, we're balancing our lives just like you were, you were talking about. And so I remember thinking, um, how do I do the things I want to do, the things that I feel most effective, like are the most effective con contributions of my time? Um, and how do I, bring a little bit more discipline to what I say yes to and and what I like and, and like do the things I want to do well and to a standard that I'm proud of and one of the conclusions I came to was that I was really getting you know I was starting to be like a manager of managers and I was starting to get really not very helpful in mentoring early career technologists like I didn't write code at my job anymore and it wasn't what I was being judged on. So I didn't feel like I had great advice um, for people in that place in their career. And so I wanted to focus my uh, mentorship. I wanted to do mentorship for women in tech, but I wanted to focus it at, at the level of women starting to step into leadership roles, possibly going from kind of that tech lead level to the big leagues. And I think um, that is a, a jump at which some of the social cues and behavioral norms becomes like super important and are are uh, are hard for male mentors to talk talk about, and so that's where I wanted to focus. And and so like um, somehow I actually don't remember how you and I got connected, but I think I was talking to people in my network about starting something, and somebody said, "Oh, Marina is also you know doing something related." And I remember you had so much energy in our first conversation that you wanted to do an event, and I just remember being like. Oh no, I will not organize an event like Marina. This is a really bad idea. Like, how do we solve the problem with as few logistics as possible? Uh, and then, you know, you and I, uh, we, we realized that um, at the time it was ITA, they had the resources uh, to, you know, financial and also just 
organizational people who do you know events and programmings for a living to put together something that would be useful and so you and I did the really smart managers thing where we came to some meetings and we gave great advice and other people did some really hard work to bring a program to life that we were really proud of so that's that's the story as I remember it it is it is it is it is exactly how I felt I actually learned a lot from the fact that you said no to um know to doing it ourselves like obviously I am the type of person that feels passionate about a lot of things and then I take them on and I'm like oh my god how am I gonna actually have the time to do this but since then I've actually been saying uh yes but not me to a lot of things (laughs) which has been like phenomenal um in a great learning experience the program now is uh women um Women Accelerator that is sponsored by ITA previously, and now 1871 is is doing this program. And the cohorts, I think they're on the third or fourth cohort of women that are now going through this program. And not to do too much advertising, but also to do it, because it's a great program. Um, There's a lot of successes that have come out of it, and I can definitely leave the link for anybody who's listening and want to look into this. Um, And then we were able to actually design the curriculum for this program during our meetings, which is, which is, I think it was a great experience to figure out like who are we targeting and why. And, and a lot of the things that we talked about at the time was how do we keep uh, a bench full? Do you remember that? And, Mm -hmm. and, and where do we, where do we see the gap? Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, it, it felt like there were a lot of entry-level women coming into tech, and then not enough stayed in tech um, and moved onto more leadership roles, like you mentioned. And so I think today we're going to talk about how do we keep more women in tech and, and how does that work out? How has it, How does it feel now nowadays? We started this program like over a year ago. So like, do you see any changes? Um, I agree that... It, I don't know whether this is, is backed by data or not, but it felt like about two years ago was the real like zenith of dev boot camps um, and and other things that were creating more pathways into tech, you know, and, and really debugging this myth that you have to be a hobby coder since you were 13 to enter this field. Um, and then, and those pathways were creating kind of uh, the next generation problem, which is, um, well, like, You've been to a dev boot camp. Can you be hired with the the um, the you know kind of old standards of, of the software community? And so you know some people were finding success in that, and some some less so. Uh, and you know as as they did, that created the next problem, which is like great. There's a lot of women in tech, and there and many of them are quite junior, and so that starts to create uh, you know in the human brain this sense of like. Oh, I see a woman in tech, and therefore I assume she is junior because that's mostly what I experience in the workplace. And so, you know, I think that is the the problem at which you and I were stepping into that. So, how is it now? Um, I think we're still in that. I think we're still in that space as an industry that um, there are increasingly women in tech, um, and representation at at senior levels is still lagging. Um, and so, I think the question we're all asking ourselves is. Is that just time? Will, will time cure that? Um, probably not. There's probably a little bit more to do, but you know. So this blend of of being patient, but also you know not leaving it to chance. Absolutely. And programs like this help that. Uh, have you 
found any other strategies within your company or your organization that have moved the needle a little bit, even even within your team? Uh, that's a good question. Um, so I, I'm at a larger company now with a, about um, 130 employees, mostly technologists. Uh, and I, there, I've only been there for about six months, and so I feel like it's a little bit early to say. And two jobs, the two jobs previously to that were, were very small teams that weren't hiring a lot. And so uh, the group of the group of engineers was the group that was there when I got there. And so there wasn't, it was mostly male. And, and um, yeah, so I don't feel like I have any great, great uh, stories there on, on things that I've seen firsthand. Okay, cool. Um, so that's the story. Um, when I was looking at your curriculum or, you know, your professional timeline, I was, I was interested in t- talking in, into like wondering, I was wondering um, who was Jenny like as a younger girl and then you went into civil engineering and then into software and those transitions a little bit. Do you want to talk about that briefly? Yeah, sure. Um, as a little girl, uh, you know, the, the thing that sticks out to me, there's two things that stick out to me about my childhood. One is that um, we, we traveled a bit. So uh, at two different points in time, we lived in the UK and I think that kind of it made me open to change uh it made me uh excited about other cultures and other places and you know there's inevitably some social friction that comes along with like okay this year i have to make all new friends and next year i have to do it all again uh and so being uh fairly resilient on those things i think you know that's important uh and the other thing is i had throughout my growing up i had a best friend who lived down the street and um you know still know her obviously uh and she and i were just really creative players like we played like hardcore we didn't just play board games although we did that but we did a lot of creative play and um and i would say kind of like past what other kids are doing we're doing we're just (laughs) weird kids who are doing our own play thing for a long time uh and i don't know how that you know shaped me i'm pretty sure it did somehow Nice. Do you incorporate creative play into your girl's life? Um, You know, I've been surprised as a parent to find how, you know, I I had this fantasy that I was going to be really engaged in that as a parent. And I've been surprised how much I've grown out of it. You know, I'm just an adult and and kind of stiff and it makes me sad and I'm not super proud of it, but it is what it is. Uh, One thing I have done as a parent is try and make sure try and make sure that there's a lot of unscheduled time and not too many structured activities in oh, there. i was going to say that this year because i think we're all we're all doing that whether we like it or not but yeah. uh, i was you know back when there was uh, a life outside the home for kids uh i was i, I, I tried to keep it in check a little bit yes i have a theory as a parent that boredom actually instigate yes. creativity so i am pro boredom i am pro pro go play yeah so anytime I hear any of my girls say uh I'm bored I'm like that's the spot that's that's where where stuff happens (laughs) because then you're not externally entertained you have to figure out how to keep yourself entertained with life kind of (laughs) and so you you went through school for mostly civil engineer and you have a great uh, pedigree obviously how did you transition from civil to software (laughs) <laughs> I, um, 
I got into grad school, uh, I think through the strength of not having the best grades, but showing the upward trend of improving my grades through college. And so there I was, my first couple of weeks, uh, I had gotten into and chosen to go to MIT, you know, very technology focused school. And I just, I had, the plan was that I was in the field of transportation. And so the plan was that I would probably be studying something like transportation policy, something that was kind of on the um, policy side of engineering work. And then I just got to school that first week or two. And I, it was, it was totally just passion and like impulsiveness of youth. And I was just like, I'm at MIT, I'm going to do computers. And like I hadn't done much programming in college, almost none. Uh, and so, you know, but I, I just, uh, I found a new advisor that first week and I changed my curriculum to, to learn to program was the first thing I needed to do. And then my, my graduate school curriculum ended up, my, my, like my master's and PhD ended up being about algorithm design for transportation networks. So that's how I was able to kind of maneuver that change. But, uh, so I spent grad school programming, scientific programming, terrible code, like really, really bad. I can't overemphasize how terrible the code was, but so, you know, lots of scientific code. Do you, it, was there a moment that you remember specifically? Because, I mean, for me and for others, there is that moment where you're like, oh, I see something and I can do it with my own hands and it's a problem and you can solve it. Was that the thing? Um, I, I, I certainly felt... Um, I certainly felt satisfied by like a good day programming that way. Um, the, when I think of the moment I felt like I could do it, it was, it was taking a, a course in algorithms and, and getting a better grade, like, you know, bit by bit, test by test, and eventually the final grade, getting a better grade than people who I thought looked the part. Uh, you know, like we we as women have uh, unfortunately a lot of the same biases as what yes. frustrated people have about us, and so I had some of those biases that you know some of my peers ha had been to French universities that are famous for being really good at math, and some of them had been to very very competitive schools in India uh, like IIT, and I just thought these people. Like, uh, these people really deserve to be here and are real, are going to be really good at this. And obviously they deserve to be there. And obviously they were really good at this. And the surprise was like, oh, and I am too. <laughs> or sometimes even better. Yeah, sometimes even better on a good day. Yeah. So that, that was my aha on that. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I feel the same way. And I think that's kind of like what keeps me in tech sometimes um is like that feeling of like oh wow i am actually just as good as or even better than other people who have done this for a long time uh, and so um yeah I, I totally can relate with that story um so uh that was kind of like you're into tech and then obviously you have a great experience in terms of like um being a software developer and then moving into management um, and then obviously leading teams at CTOs uh, and, and your final, like now uh, being co-CEO uh, at 8th Light. Uh, in, in your professional career, like keeping with the theme of like, how do we keep women in tech or, or was, there, was there a recipe of success that you have distilled or found or what are some of the drivers that kept you in tech, even, you know, through having a family and 
and through life changes and all that good stuff? Yeah. Um, so I don't, I, I don't feel like I had a, have a recipe. Um, things that I think are great about tech um, that I have enjoyed that I think uh, make it a place of opportunity for everyone. Um, it's a fast moving field. Things change quickly. And so, you know, that makes it right for all kinds of disruption, uh, including, you know, just charting your own course, including, uh, you know, using the chaos to your own professional advantage a little bit. Um, uh, so, you know, just the, the pace of change and the fact that uh, many technology workplaces, especially startups and others, um, are a little bit disorganized. And that can, there's, there's plenty of, uh, there's pl- plenty of uh, examples of where that might disadvantage women and other uh, traditionally underrepresented groups. But it's also like with good mentors, with, uh, with good support, with good sponsors, it also creates pathways because the, the field isn't always, it's, it's, it's not always structured. And so there is, there can be room for the disruption, um, even though, um, you know, there, there's sometimes cultural um, problems. Um, I've also like, it's also, there, there's just been a lot of money in this industry. And there's, so, you know, I think, that that means that there's a lot of opportunity generally, and and that's something that I found both rewarding and is also you know it, the the industry is moving. There's a lot of money in it. There's a lot of um, uh, uh, thirst for talent. So anybody who gets in there and can like there are opportunities to to be recognized for making a contribution and like people want talent. At the yeah. End of the day. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely one of the advantages. Um, how you mentioned, like how using chaos to your own professional advantage. What what was that? What was that looking like? Um, you know, and and, uh, and there's examples of being um, being mentored, sponsored, encouraged, pushed in this too. But so I so I um, I took about three and a half years out of the workforce uh, and was a stay-at-home mom during that time. And then when I went back to work, I, I, I specifically char- targeted startups because, you know, I'm kind of an ambitious person. And even though I enjoyed that time at home with my kids, I also had this like chip on my shoulder about all the professional growth lost during those three and a half years. So I wanted to go to a place where there was risk and also reward for, you know, a potential for rapid advancement. So I, I decided to like look at startups and uh, the startup that I joined, uh, I was a little bit older than most people at the company and I was female. So that, you know, that like kind of had me stick out a little bit. And I remember when uh, we had these company meetings and people would give presentations. And I remember one, one of the younger, earlier career women at the company really pushed me to give a presentation you know, because she thought I knew something and she wanted this to be the kind of company where there were women in charge. And, you know, I had wrinkles or gray hair or something that looked like, you know, maybe I could be in charge. So she was kind of pushing me forward. And I remember feeling like, like, I don't know anything, but I don't want to let her down. And so I will give a presentation on something. Right. And, and so, you know, that's an example of like the little bits of chaos, like, you know, her, pushing me to give a presentation and then me kind of el- elbowing my way into the presentation and then 
then people think I know a thing, and you know, of course, it turns out I do know a thing. I just had to be pushed to, to, to do it. Yeah. About it. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and uh, yeah, so you know, little things like that. And that's an example of the the mentorship that doesn't and the sponsorship that doesn't always come from above, but it comes from the whole community of, of people wanting to see better representation. Yeah, I definitely love the fact that it was a woman who pushed you too, because. Um, you know, we obviously hear a lot about male sponsors and male mentors and because naturally they're the one in charge. But I, I, I really am supportive of women pushing women to be greater, do better. <laughs> so, here's a, so here's another story. Uh, we, like, like most startups, we had a terrible website that we knew we had to make better. And so a colleague of mine that I respected a lot was in charge of, was, he was the engineer in charge of the website committee. And he, I remember him coming out of this committee meeting and saying okay like we need content we need people to write blogs right you know and he's like and so like jenny you're you need to write a blog on docker and i remember thinking like okay, first off i barely know what docker is this is, <laughs> this is back in like 2013 2014 nobody knew what docker was it was like brand new it's like i barely know what that is i don't know anything about it i can't write a blog about it and i remember my first impulse was like this jerk wants to expose my ignorance by making me write this blog post. So that was my first thought was like fear and anger. And then my second thought was, but I can't let him win. <laughs> so I write a blog post about Docker that I know nothing about. And, uh, and so, you know, when, when I had to sit down to do the work, I was like, okay, well, like so rationally, if I don't know anything about this, a lot of people don't know anything about this. And I could use that to my advantage. I can write like the beginners, you know, yeah, the and you know, this is at Civis Analytics. We're a data science company, and so I just did this like very beginner how to like how to put a little bit of Python into a Docker container. Yeah, and, uh, and so you know, fast forward a few years. First off, I like went on to have a really rewarding professional relationship with that colleague, and I quickly came to the conclusion that he was not, in fact, out to destroy me. <laughs> nice. And uh, another thing was that that blog post for years and years and years was like the most <laughs> was the most popular <laughs> thing on that website for years, just because it had the search terms Python and Docker for like 2013, 2014, 2015. It turns out that was enough to get a lot of traffic. That's awesome. That's a really good story. <laughs> yeah, um, pushed. Oh, that's that's so good. Um, how did you? What type of mindset does it take to like take something like that and turn it into an opportunity? Or like, do you see, let me change that a little bit and say like, that's definitely a characteristic that I think makes win versus kind of lose. And I don't want to be by no about this, but definitely like creates opportunities versus gives up opportunities. I was wondering if you notice, have noticed, um, any other traits within your team that makes, um, you know, in a successful player, a player that actually gets promoted um, and, and moves into better opportunities and greater things? Um, and what are some of those characteristics that you see as now a leader uh, in your organization? Yeah. Um, I think... Um I think being change oriented helps a lot um, on a management journey, especially an accelerated one. And I, I think part of that is you know, people who are change oriented are, are perhaps more likely to 
not know how to do a new thing and then just go do it anyway. And so there's a certain amount of that. Um, and whether it's management or leadership, the the skills and the job changes quite a bit as you know at different levels. So to be a hands-on manager, a tech lead is quite different than to be a team of teams manager is quite different than being you know a, a co-CEO. And so I think just that um, like embracing the change, not you know not getting stuck in the things you miss, but being excited about what's ahead. And also having that sense, that ability to question why things that were working before aren't working so well anymore. And what is the, the new thing that you have to be able to do in the new role or in the new company or in the new, you know, even within the same company, maybe, maybe something, maybe a product is very successful and everybody's job changes because now it's a very different company. Totally. And that definitely has been a theme in the last year and a half year year definitely year year and a half especially with covid and companies having to change um is there anything uh so you said your team your team right now is about 130 employees um do you know the percent of the split between female and male in, in the tech roles yeah uh i think i, I want to say about 35 percent female and do you have any like mentorship relationship right now with some some women in your company? I do, I do. Uh, um, you know, the the truth is like not as much as I like. You know, I think uh, it's probably a combination of um, well, I have to make decisions that some people like and some people don't, and so that that puts up walls. Uh, in some cases, people probably think they are not a good use of my time. That is wrong. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I hope people at your company hear this and they're like, yeah, yeah, exactly. now. <laughs> uh, and you know, they're just busy. So that's, that's cool too. Um, but yeah, uh, so I would like to do, be doing more of that. And I, you know, I think it's also just, uh, I started this job in, um, in the early fall of COVID. And so just the normal things of walking the floor of the office that a new CEO would do to be human, I, I can't do. And so I have to think of all these Zoom ways to try and do the same things. Um, and they're just not perfect substitutes. Uh, so, and, and we're, we're in a few different locations. So uh, as soon as I can, I would like to just get on a plane and go see folks in London or Austin, Texas or um, New York. Nice. Um, what are some of the Zoom things you're doing that you've found maybe more like that you, you have tried, whether you've failed or success that you've tried that try to like reach to people? Yeah, we just tried to do things at all scales. So, you know, we have a standing company meeting. Uh, so, you know, I sometimes have segments or announcements in, in that meeting. Um, that's kind of the biggest scale. Then there uh, we my, myself and my co-CEO, Paul, we tried to do fireside chats where we get like a, a small group of people and it's just a very dyna different dynamic. People are more likely to ask a question there. Um, and part of why we're doing that too is just with, with two CEOs, I think 
there's a logical question that if I ask one CEO one thing, will I get a different answer? And so watching the two of us interact and watching the way that we, you know, act in unison or have a different opinion, just doing that to try and build people's understanding of, of where we both are. Um, and then, of course, we do, like, I, I've done one-on-ones, and at this point, I have met, I think, at, by the end of the week, I think I will have met everybody. At the oh, nice. Great <laughs> accomplishment. Um, what is a co-CEO, by the way? Because I, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know what that is. And yeah. is there, what is the reasoning behind the co-CEO structure of a company? Yeah. Um, you know, a co-CEO is just having two people that have that same level of, of decision authority as a CEO would. Um, and I think that, uh, I think it's something that was almost a little in fashion a couple of years ago, maybe this fall out of fashion. I think there's some, uh, there's some great examples of where there have been co-CEOs in, in larger companies. And, and now, of course, I'm just like blanking on what they are. Um, probably a more typical arrangement is when you have a a, a true CEO and a very powerful and influential number two, uh, uh, often their COO, chief operating officer, um, and, and a CEO is just a, a more balanced version of that. So uh, however a company is doing it, you know, they have to figure out how they share the job. And so for Paula and myself, um, we have, you know, some of the executives report to me and, and I am the the authority on some business functions and others report to him. Uh, and then we both report to a board. Um, so for major stuff, we tend to run it by each other, even though, you know, we know where our lanes are because, you know, it's just a good practice. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's, that's what we're doing. Cause wise. Oh, and I, I think I didn't answer and why to do it. Um, I think there's a lot of reasons why, uh, you know, it's a way to bring in, um, new perspective without the disruption of, you know, totally uh, having the old perspective depart. Um, and it's a way of giving that new perspective, in my case, as much power and influence as possible, not, you know, not just on the executive team, but at a higher level. Um, so I think that's, those, those are some of the reasons to do it. Um, I actually, I think there's also some reasons for the CEOs that are good reasons. Um, I, I, find, I feel less lonely at the top than I think is typical for CEOs. And that's a really good feeling that I think will keep me in the job for long. For long yeah. time. Um, that feels good. Uh, so, yeah. And, be, be, you know, because sometimes that, that ultimate authority does come with a certain amount of, at a cost, yeah. Yeah. Is, is, the, is this like, um, I don't want to say like an in-training type of role, but could it be an in-training into stepping into your solo CEO role? Yeah, so I think it could it could certainly work that way uh, in, in a lot of situations. Uh, yeah, and is that is that where Jenny potentially will be one day? Not at Eight Light specifically or anything else, but like, are you gunning towards a tech CEO role at some point? I don't know. Um, you know, I don't know. Uh, I think when Paul and I were talking about this, I was worried that knowing myself, I would very quickly start to crave, you know, and so I've been really surprised at at myself a little bit in the past, like six months, how that hasn't really crept into my thinking. Um, And I, I feel like the, the benefits of 
having a peer uh, to to be stronger with far outweigh that that ego, and I just don't find I'm to my own surprise. I don't find I, my mind going there. <laughs> I wonder if you guys are onto something. You know, having a male I, now, I have no idea. I, I don't know who Paul is. And I don't know him specifically, but having a male CEO and a co female CEO, maybe there's a lot of complementary things happening there that uh, may really propel a new type of arrangement, kind of like a uh, you know, the current presidential male president and female VP president. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing if some of these things seem are more symbiotic than just, you know, a, a completely male structure or something like that. Yeah, I wonder too. Um, but yeah, um, there's something else to say. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So, um, how does a woman that is currently in tech um, and it's at that point where she is ready to level up, whether it's taking a VP role or a more executive role. Um, and I don't know if this is too general, but like, I'm going to ask it anyways. It's like, do you have any recommendation for this woman, whether it's within your company or in, in the tech, in tech in general to like level up and step up into those leadership roles um, how many, if you have even any advice on how does she find a executive role and maybe at a startup like you did or a board role at a, at a company like you were on a board before? Yeah. Um, so, you know, one, one bit of advice is like, so in, in some situations you're promoted into a, like you're promoted into an opportunity and I was that like when I first uh, joined that that startup I, I joined as a software engineer and then was was promoted uh, into uh, a tech lead and then a director of engineering position and um, one of my learnings for that is I think I kind of I, I was very surprised by it um, maybe in large companies there's less surprise but I and there's more <laughs> slow wheels of progress that are predictable. But either way, um, I would encourage anybody to be kind of prepared. Like, what if I went into work today and somebody wanted to offer me more money, more responsibility, more opportunity? And I think anybody who's thoughtful will be cautious about that. But in that moment, there's there's value to, like, like already negotiating. And what's, <laughs> right? And... It's really asymmetric if somebody draws you into a conference room and says, we'd like to give you more responsibility and you weren't expecting that, it's very easy to be the deer in the headlights and they came prepared to the conversation and you didn't, right? So the only, you know, the only thing to do is to kind of be constantly prepared by that, for that con conversation. Like what if um, somebody offered me more responsibility and more opportunity today? Nice. Well, what I do, and and so, and I think there's a lot of things to do. There's there's to there's okay. So it's game on for the negotiation. What what which what do I want to be successful? And that's not just compensation. That's like, what's the scorecard? You're asking me to take on more responsibility. Do you know what you what what success actually looks like? And can you tell me that today? And if you know if you can't tell me that today, can you go home and do your homework, or like, can we have that as a dialogue, or whatever the setup is? Um, so yeah, that's that's uh, some piece of my uh, some piece of advice is just to to be ready for that, as if it could happen at any moment. Uh, and you know, and also just be you know uh, to to be able to 
be as confident as you can be in that moment. Like it's it's hard to tell go go around and tell people just be confident, right? Or just seem confident. Um, that's like hard advice to follow, right? But um, maybe you know playing that playing that out in your head would it is a way to to give off that vibe. And you know the truth is that whoever's brought you into that con that like that conference room chose you, right? Yeah. For a yeah. good reason. <laughs> No, totally. I love that advice. I never thought about it that way. It's like being ready for that to happen in any moment. Mm -hmm. uh, I definitely can say I'm not necessarily ready for that right now. So I'm going to go home and think about this for a second. Um, what yeah, I didn't speak to how you create that moment for yourself, which is another good conversation. Um, and there are like, a, um, like there, I, I don't feel like I have, uh, you know, this is just my own lived experience. I haven't reflected on that a lot. I, I guess I have, but in job search times, like, you know, when it comes to job searches, I've tried to, you know, in my better moments, look before I leap and think about what I want and, and why I want it. Um, uh, and so if it, if it was really important to me that the next job title be chief technology officer, then <laughs> then have that as part of the conversation with with the CEO who is who's hiring for technology leadership. Um, so I guess that's the way in which I've ensured those or tried to ensure those uh, opportunities for myself less through promotion and more through um, through through um, job searches. Yeah, it totally sounds like. Um, well, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, to me, what you're saying, it sounds like you're not afraid to ask for what you want. Yeah, I think that's true. Not afraid to ask. And I also, I think perhaps there's also a slow game for just, you know, like in the podcast world, we, we often hear the advice that great leaders are humble and it's true. And well, most of us like that, that is good advice, generally speaking. And then, you know, flipping that around a little bit. Um, in, in all this, you know, reputation of humility that, that that a leader might be trying to like create about themselves, are they accidentally creating the the sense that they don't want opportunities, that they are afraid of it, that they will shrink back from it? That um, because so you know, I think I've also tried in my professional life to make sure that people around me know that I am ambitious, that I I I am kind of low grade unsatisfied, not in a bad way, not in a toxic way, just in an ambitious way. And, you know, as, as somebody who is, uh, is, you know, at, at the top of the food chain, like, I'm always excited to see that in people like, like low grade, a little unsatisfied is kind of great, right? It's not, um, it's not grumpy. It's just, it's like that person is ambitious. And, and that's kind of great to see. Yeah, I love I, I really like that because there is that sense that we should we should wait sometimes to get it or but if we ask we may be too forceful. So yeah. I like that that wording that you said low grade unsatisfied in practice, like having a conversation, what does low grade unsatisfied sound like? Uh well like you know, I remember so at, at Civis, for example, I was a director of engineering for a while, and I, I think I would just, you know, in talking to the the top two executives of the company, just construct sentences about my eventual promotion to vice president of engineering. 
And it wasn't like this has to happen this week. I just want you to know that that is my goal. And I, I want you to know that I am working towards that. So if there is something I need to do to make that come true, it would help if you told me what that is. And I also want you to feel the pressure of that clock. Like, you know that that is something I'm looking for. And so I will, I will stay. I will be productive. I will put into this company as long as that is a, um, a, a like, credible opportunity for me. Uh, so, you know, treat me like your future VP of engineering. Like, how would I change my behavior if that's my future, my vision of myself? And how would you treat me if, if you knew that that was what my ambition was? What? Oh, my, that's, that's really awesome. And, and I, I, the first question that comes to mind is, like, where did you learn that? Like, what was it that made you do that? I don't know. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great, that's a great answer. Uh, <laughs> but, it's, but it's, I think it's really awesome. Like, I, I don't think as women, generally, we ask enough for what we want in a healthy way. So mm -hmm. I think that is definitely a great key to like asking for things in a healthy way. I'm not saying right now, I'm just saying, this is my goal. Let's both work towards this. I'll help you and you will help me and, yeah. and we will make this company great in the meantime together kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I, I don't, and there, there's, there's nothing wrong with asking and a form of asking that I have found useful is not just literally asking, can I have this promotion? Can I have this pay increase? But it's painting the like, you know, it, painting myself image that I am a person who wants those things, right? Mm -hmm. like telling people, you know, expressing desire, expressing ambition and make, making sure people see me that way. I love it. I love that. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. that I, I think that's one of the clearest uh, answers I've got about getting there and asking for things. So I, I'm super excited to get this online actually. Um, awesome, we have a few minutes left. Um, so I'm gonna, we're, we're gonna just change a little bit and then kind of like uh, turn into the out, uh, out the questions that are gonna be the end of the, question, the interview. But any hobbies you picked up during COVID that you wanna share? Yeah, uh, I do the I do the sour bro sourdough bread thing. I really enjoyed that. I'm pretty proud of my weekly loaves of bread. These oh, guys. Um, I've been a gardener for the past couple years, and so that's been a nice thing about being at home is I can do even more of that, and um, you know, not let not let things die. <laughs> do you see yourself like? Do you see your company at least changing the way they now? their relationship with remote workers at all? Yeah, and uh, we certainly don't have all the answers yet. It seems, so we had a few remote folks and it, before COVID, it was edge cases. It was, you know, people who changed their life or, or extremely valuable hires. Um, I think it'll be more more of the norm of they fight, but um, I'm not sure that it will be the only thing. And, I'm not, and I, I think that we will probably bring back offices in some way and I just don't know how but it, it seems like we're not ready to say 100% remote um, there's still a lot that people miss about office culture but um, I so. guess hy hybrid probably is the way I see it going as well yeah yeah and I, I think that's where we'll be providing options for people mm -hmm. to do their best work I mean I find as a as a technical person or as a manager of engineers mm -hmm. as well manager of managers that 
people sometimes needs to be need to be home in order to have deep work just because of office can be distracting at times. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've had a lot, a lot of increase in productivity. Have you noticed similarities in that in your experience? Um, you know, I, I actually, I just don't know. Um, I think what, what's as a consultancy, what um, has has been hard for us. Everybody, I, I was at a, at a product company at the beginning of uh, COVID, and the compare and contrast I see is that that at a product company. It was a startup. We were still trying to survive, just like we were before the pandemic. And we're still trying to get this product out there and be successful, just like we were trying to do. So this, the community around the shared goal was still there, even though the way we engage with each other on the shared goal is now Zoom. So that felt less disruptive. Um, at a consultancy, so much of our time is focused on our clients and our customers. Um, so I, I was not full time at Eight Flight before the pandemic hit. So I can only like this, this is what I've heard, not what I've experienced. But we we came in office together on Fridays for that like shared community time, and I think that was really important for us to feel like this is the time at which with I'm with other Eight Flight people, really focused on community inside Eight Flight, not just my professional relationships with my client. Um, and so that's been uh, disruptive to us to try and figure out how do we create that time for eighth light community in this remote way. Well, I'm excited to see what you guys come up to. Maybe it's a trip to Hawaii or I'm advocating yeah. for the employees at eighth light right now. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, any other differences that you've experienced between the product companies that you've worked at and now the consultancy side? Yeah. Um, you know, I think generally in my career, when I like uh, being uh, hiring is, is a big part of any VP of engineering, CTO, like CEO role at a tech company, you know, the pursuit of talent is always a big thing. Um, and I think a general maturation of mine is I, I no longer try and, harass everybody that I know that I think is great to come work where I'm working currently or now. Uh, Instead, I think, you know, I I try and think deeply about what, like, of all the people I know, who would really thrive here and love it. Um, And, you know, be honest with myself about this isn't actually a great fit for every awesome technologist I know, only some of them. So I've been thinking, you know, especially as somebody who's been at product companies, what is great about product company jobs? And I, you know, I said some of those things, this like shared sense of mission to, you know, for, for the product that you're working on can be really compelling and fun. Um, and, and what is the, what is the answer for a consultancy? Like what's awesome about working at a consultancy and for whom? And uh, I think I noticed that consultants, um, one thing that really hit me when I started doing one-on-ones at 8th Light is um, very strong communicators. I would say that the, like, you know, the average communicators at 8th Light would be in the top decile at other places I worked in terms of engineering communication. And that really, you know, so people who are great communicators thrive at consultancies or consultancies are particularly good at training those skills, probably a little bit of both. Um, That's one thing. Uh, Another thing is, you know, I think it's a good fit for people who, who want to change technology projects with some frequency. So, you know, as, as an engineering manager or product company, I always tried to 
accommodate team changes as, as much or whenever I could. But the truth is there's a lot of people who've been chained to that particular stack for five years and can't find a way out, right? And uh, whereas at a consultancy, you know, it, it's like consultants might change projects six months, 12 months, sometimes longer depending on their preferences, um, but more frequently. And so that, uh, for some people, that's just enjoyable and it creates this other other skill, which is how do you go into a foreign code base and become productive, like assess it quickly and become productive quickly. And that's, you know, that's a pretty, pretty cool engineering skill to have. Um, yeah. In addition to the diversity of just seeing how different companies operate within a specific solution. That's right, that's right. You, yeah, exactly. You see a bunch of different patterns across companies, cultural patterns, process patterns, yeah. um, clinical patterns. Um, and then, you know, the third thing I see in, in, uh, in awesome consultants is um, I think consultancies are great places for people who really value building things the right way. And product organizations, uh, I think there's a wide range. Sometimes there's this, this has got to get out the door. There's a wider variety of commitments to quality engineering. Mm-hmm. And the truth is a lot of times that the, um, the pursuit of quality is the quality of the user experience and the quality of the code matters a lot, but it matters in this long-term way. It's like, how can we deliver that awesome user experience no matter how many changes we make to the product, no matter how long it lives. Um, whereas, you know, in, in a, uh, in a software consultancy, the, the quality of the code base is why people are bringing us in and we're always building for the quality and the maintainability and the future of that code. Yeah, as, as technologists, we know that there's nothing worse than receiving bad code from another person and then having to maintain it. <laughs> right. We don't we don't want the like brand name on that bad quality code, so we just don't do that. So uh, so for people who are are, are like minded towards um, engineering build quality, it's a, it's like it can be really satisfying. Yeah, I really love that Eatlight is thinking about that. Um, from a long-term perspective, and I am sure it'll, it'll impact your long-term relationship with your customers as well. So, great job! Yeah, we can tell. Uh, we see it. We see it in our net promoter scores. So, yes, it does. <laughs> nice, perfect. All right. Uh, the few last few questions. Uh, what is a book that you have gifted the most, or um, you have given your your teams? Mm. It could be a book, it could be an article, it could like it could be a podcast, whatever you want it to be. Yeah. Um, uh, it's been a few years since it came out, but I think for, for early career engineers, uh, there's a book called uh, uh, The Effective Engineer, and it's basically just about engineering work habits and how to like how to have a very how to be a productive engineer on a lot of different ways, like you know, finger habits and tooling and also working on the right things and you know figuring out where you fit in the organization's priorities. Um, I don't always like, love the writing voice of the author, but the actual material that's in it, I think, is, is really smart. So um, that's something that, uh, that I've encouraged early career engineers to have book clubs around, particularly. Nice. Um, great, great first job book. Um, farther along, um, you know, I love Camille Fournier's Manager's Path. A lot of people love that book. Uh, frequently recommended. I'm trying to think of what is a little bit less anything recent that you have uh, enjoyed yeah I like the um, 
the the Horowitz one on culture. Uh, you have to put in the show notes what the name of the book is, but I, I enjoyed that one. That really stuck with me. On yes, kids like great books. Yeah, the, there, there's one. There's one that's very much about kind of brutal startup culture called the hard thing about hard things. Yeah, I really enjoyed too, and is is good if you're on a startup leadership team. But I think the the audience for the one about company culture, about organizational culture, uh, and I don't remember. Okay. Yeah, is the audience for that one is wide, and you know, I just found it very like it kind of stuck with me, and I found myself, you know for weeks thinking about am I, is the thing I'm doing at work today is that reflecting what I learned through that book nice I love that uh what is a book that you would write book I would write if you had to write one um yeah you know years and years and years ago I read some little article about somebody whose mom was a was an engineer by training and the way she ran the house is that if something was consistently failing like the you know the socks never go in the basket she would just come to the conclusion that the, the problem was the system like that the system was somehow poorly designed for the, for the for its goal and so she would just try and ensure that all the systems of the household were you know had the right incentive properties considered the right factors etc and that always just made me chuckle that you know that's what it's like to have an especially an engineering manager as a mom to like you know <laughs> you know the entire the, the family's engineering manager the, the family vacations the the sock and the like it's all you know and so I don't know what it would be, but it would be something like that. It would be like how I'm kind of the same, whether I'm going to the parent teacher meeting or planning the family vacation. It would be something about that. <laughs> we definitely have retros in my house. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like, what went wrong in this situation? Let's right. read. <laughs> right. Oh, that's so good. Okay, great. Um, and then the last question is, what does it mean to be embossed to you? The, the podcast is called Embossed. It's just a little fun question that I asked. And I wonder if you had any thoughts about that. What does it mean to be unbossed? Um, I think it, it means having, you know, your, your own compass about like achievement and progress and change in life. Uh, and to me, it means that, you know, like, Career paths and professional performance management, those, those things have a place in our, like they, they serve an important function in our professional careers, um, but they, they shouldn't be how we measure our life, right? Including really our professional life. You know, we yeah. should take stock and say, what things in my work week energize me? What does not? Why, why am I different? How am I different than I was 10 years ago? And what does that mean for the next 10 years? Um, Etc. So, like, you know, I think it's it's charting your own path personally and professionally. Um, yeah, and and, that, and and not having that be defined by a boss, whether that boss is a person or a structure or a culture. Absolutely, and I think you've shown that uh, in your professional and personal career. So, thank you so much for being. <laughs> Thanks for making it up as I go along. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. We're a little bit over, so I'm going to let you go. Yeah. Best. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Okay. Bye. Bye.